Welcome to Living Faith, the podcast ministry of First Baptist Church, Avon Park, Florida. To neglect corporate worship is to ignore the reason Christ died. Corporate worship is big and cosmological, bigger than you and bigger than me. This is what heaven is like, a whole lot of people worshiping Jesus. That's what corporate worship is all about. It's a foretaste. Welcome to the Midweek Edition of Living Faith. The Midweek Edition features teaching from our Wednesday night student Bible study, FBC 180. Our current series is Foretaste, Corporate Worship and Eternity. Did you know that our corporate worship time on Sunday morning is just a sample, a foretaste of heaven? As believers gather to sing praises, offer prayers, and hear God speak to us through His Word, we are, in essence, rehearsing for eternity where we will, with the angels and the saints from every tribe and tongue, join in to honor and glorify God through Jesus Christ. This series is helping our students understand the importance and centrality of corporate worship on Sunday morning by teaching them what the Bible has to say about why and how we worship as a believing community. So get your Bible and pen and let's join in on Foretaste, Corporate Worship and Eternity. For the last three weeks, we've been in our foundational part of this series, and that's what I'm going to be calling the why. The why of corporate worship. Why do we meet together? Why do we have corporate worship? Why do we go to church? That's what these four weeks have been about. So this week is the last week in that foundational question of why. And next week, we'll be moving into the how. So the how are we supposed to worship? Does the Bible tell us how to worship? How are we not supposed to worship? So those are questions we'll be getting into next, but for now... This is the last part of our foundational part of the series on why corporate worship. And tonight we have a very important question. We've talked about the foundations of biblical worship from the Old Testament. What are some of those foundations of biblical worship in the Old Testament? What were some of them? Sacrifices, right? Anybody else? Lots of things you could throw out here that are right. The tabernacle, which was a portable version of this. The temple. Okay, who worked in the temple? The priest, and they did sacrifices. So all of these visual aids, all of these things that people were able to see, they saw the, tip, the tabernacle, the tent of meeting in the wilderness. They saw the temple on the mount in Jerusalem. They saw the sacrifice. They saw the priesthood. All of these things were visual elements that were all pointing them to who? Jesus. All of these things were pointing them specifically to the person of Jesus Christ. Okay? How did Jesus, let's just take that by piece, piece by piece. How did Jesus fulfill what the tabernacle and the temple represented? Talked about this the last two weeks. What was the temple and the tabernacle? What was it? It's where God dwelt. Now, could the tabernacle or the temple contain God? No. But God had said... I will cause my glory and my name to be there. So he really was there, but it wasn't like he lived just in that little room. That was just kind of a concentrated portion of his glory. So that's what the temple and the tabernacle were, the dwelling place of God, the glory of God. Now, let me get that question again. How does Jesus fulfill those things? In other words, how is Jesus the true tabernacle and the true temple? How is Jesus those things? I've already given you the answer. You just got to kind of formulate it for me. Yes. Yeah. How does Jesus fulfill the tabernacle and the temple? 
How does he complete those things to where we don't need them anymore? He is the ultimate sacrifice. That is a terrific answer. Any more answers? The curtain split. There you go. The veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place in the tabernacle and the temple was split in two when Jesus died on the cross. That gave us direct access to God through Jesus. Anybody else? These are all great answers. We talked about one last week when we talked about Jesus being the very glory of God. So if Jesus is the glory of God, how does that fulfill the tabernacle and the temple? Well, it's the place where God dwelt. So remember from Colossians that Jesus was the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. And that when Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What does John 1.14 again say? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We know that part. John 1.14, though, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. So, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. So, all of that that the tabernacle and the temple symbolized, the priesthood, the sacrifice, the lamb, the veil, all that good stuff we mentioned, Jesus completed those things because he's the true priest, he's the true sacrifice, he's the true temple, he's the true tabernacle, because ultimately he is the glory of God. Okay, it's not, it doesn't appear to us no, any longer in, in smoke and clouds and fire like it did in the Old Testament. It appeared to us in the face of Jesus. He lived among us, and we beheld His glory. So tonight we're moving past that, and we're going to ask this question. Why is it so important that we worship together? Now that we've established the Old Testament pattern of worship, we're going to move into the New Testament and ask this question. Why is it so important that we worship together? And here's the answer. Because God calls us to it, promises His presence, and lets us worship with the angels and saints in heaven because God calls us to it promises his presence and lets us worship with the angels and saints in heaven every week you can probably put a little circle or asterisk a little star beside that question there'll be a question like that every week so the next week when I ask the question from the week before you can just go right there and find it because that's the theme for our lesson tonight let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10 And let's keep talking about why worshiping together is so important. When I say corporate worship, that might sound a bit confusing to you. All it means is together. Corporate meaning that we are coming together as a congregation, as a company of people. We're coming together to worship the Lord. That's what corporate worship is. It's different from your everyday worship. Remember we said that worship was all of life. What does Romans 12, 1 say? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God, which is your acceptable form of worship. So that's your all-of-life worship. That means everything you do should bring glory and honor to Jesus. That's all-of-life worship. Okay? There's private worship. That's what you do in your private time, hopefully, that you have conversations with God, that you awkwardly sing to God in your car songs on the radio that are terrible, but that He loves, I'm sure. You know, those are your private times of worship between you and God, intimate, you and the Holy Spirit communing. But more important than both of those is your corporate worship time. Because only the corporate worship time, when you're together with your brothers and sisters in Christ, worshiping God, only in that time are you getting a sample and a foretaste of what heaven will be like. Because heaven will not be just you and Jesus. We're going to see that tonight. Heaven will not be just you and the Holy Spirit taking a stroll down the street. You're going to be with other people. The people next to you right now, hopefully, the people next to you on Sunday morning. The odd people that you really don't want anything to do with right now, you will be with for eternity. But thank God you'll have glorified bodies and sanctified heads and everything. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 10, 
And let's see the importance of corporate worship. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. And we read part of this last week, so it's going to be a bit of a review, but just listen up. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter... Now, listen. I'm going to teach you how to read the Bible right now. I think you know how to read, but I'm going to teach you how to read the Bible. When you're reading these things, remember how I told you that words are important? When you're seeing these words like holy places and priesthood and temple and all these things come back in the New Testament, you need to learn how to filter those through the cross, to filter those through Jesus. All this stuff we've been talking about, how Jesus fulfills all that, even what Pastor John talked about Sunday morning, how we are the true Israel, that's all right here. So keep reading and read like that. Verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... We're thinking sacrifices and holy places. By the new and living way that he opened to us through the curtain, the veil, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is some great language here because remember what the priest did to the altar when they did the sacrifices, they dipped their finger in the blood and they did what to it? They sprinkled the altar and it atoned for the sins of the people. So here it says that Jesus has sprinkled our hearts with his own blood. And that's what that old symbol pointed to. That's the reality. Keep reading. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So our first point here from this text is, number one, Jesus' priesthood makes it possible for us to come together in God's presence. Remember what I said last week about the priest entering into the Holy of Holies? Would he dare just to walk on through without offering a sacrifice for himself and for the people? No, because what would happen to him? He would die. God's holiness would lash out against him, and he would be consumed immediately because of his sin. Okay, So it's not possible just to strut into God's presence and expect to be welcomed. This applies to you today in this way, that if you are not covered by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus... When you die and stand before God in His real presence, you will not be welcomed because there is no atonement for your sins. So keep all that in mind. Jesus' priesthood, the sacrifice He made of Himself, makes a way for us to come before God. Number two, Jesus opened the way by His death. Not only is Jesus the priest, Jesus is the Lamb. He's the sacrifice. And He offers Himself so that we might come to God through Him. Number three, This is an important point. Pay close attention. To neglect corporate worship is to ignore the reason Christ died. Let it sink in. Let it sink in. To ignore corporate worship, to neglect to come to corporate worship, is to ignore the reason Christ died. It's all wrapped up here together. Christ was our priest. He was our sacrifice. He was our lamb. And he went before God and offered himself so that we might be able to come to him together. So what do you think it is telling God if you or your family don't think that coming to church is all that important? What are you saying about the sacrifice of Christ? It's not that important. 
what Jesus died for, to rescue a people for himself and to bring them together in himself. That's what Sunday morning is a picture of. If you don't think that's a big deal, you don't think that Christ's death is a big deal because that's what he died for. Let's keep moving. Go to Hebrews chapter 12, two chapters later. Start in verse 18. We've read this before. You have not come to what may be touched. You have not come to what may be touched, physical, earthly, right? A blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Okay, again, we've talked about this before. What is this, what is this referring to? Moses getting the Ten Commandments, and the glory of God comes down from the mountain. And this author of Hebrews, again, remember, writing to Hebrew Christians who knew these stories, who were tempted to go back to the Old Testament law. This, he's, he's drawing their minds to that. You haven't come to the physical, earthly, temporal, holy places through Moses and the law. What do you come to now? Verse 22. But you, Christians, through Jesus, have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. What's the opposite of the heavenly Jerusalem? The physical Jerusalem. You haven't come to that one. Don't worry about the physical temple and the physical Israel and the physical temple. That's not what you're a part of. You're part of the heavenly Jerusalem. Keep going. And to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, there it is again, that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So number one, very clear here, one, we worship with the angels of heaven. That's what it means there when it says, you come to, verse 22, innumerable angels in festal gathering. That means they're having a festival, a party of worship before God. You're part of that in corporate worship. Number two, we worship with the saints from all time. He calls it by peculiar names here. He says, to the assembly of the firstborn and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. That's just fancy, beautiful language for Christians. You come to worship with all the angels of heaven and with all the saints of God, not only those who are alive here and now across the world, but all those who have already died and gone on before you. Remember when Dr. Jones was here for D-Now Weekend and we went all the way back to the two and the three hundreds and talked about men like Augustine and Athanasius and Polycarp. Remember all those guys? When you come to worship Jesus on Sunday morning, you are joining with the angels and joining with all of them who have gone on before to worship and adore God. Number three, we worship in the heavenly Jerusalem. Further from this passage, corporate worship is cosmological. It's big. It's everything. It's the expanse of the universe. It's bigger than right here and right now. It's cosmological. It's forever and eternity. It's everything. Corporate worship is cosmological. Number two, corporate worship is universal. Again, it not only includes you and First Baptist Church, but it includes every Bible-believing and gospel-preaching church on the face of the earth. It includes all the angels in heaven and all the saints of heaven that have gone on before you. Innumerable people joining to worship God through corporate worship. So number three, corporate worship is bigger than you. This is important for us to remember in our generation. I, I don't think that you've necessarily seen a lot of this here, 
but at least in the past 20 years, the wonderful things called the worship wars erupted in churches. And worship wars was simply this. We have a choir with robes and an organ and piano, and we sing hymns from the hymn book with the, with the hymnal in front of us, and we like that, okay? In comes a new generation and says, we don't like the robes or the choir or the hymns or the instruments. We like band and screens and PowerPoint and new songs and all this stuff, okay? What happens when those two people try to come together in a worship service? It doesn't work because, because, number three, we have mistakenly thought that corporate worship is about us. We've thought that corporate worship is about my preference. And this gets into what you call church hopping. This is one of my favorites, church hopping. This is when people treat picking a church as if they were trying on clothes at Belk or wherever you go to buy clothes. Or if it was trying to pick out where you're going to eat for dinner that night. If they just have the right combination of food and service and cleanliness, we'll go eat there. But if they mess up on one little part, well, I'm just going to stop going there and I'll go to Chili's or Outback or something next time. Or McDonald's. People have treated picking a church like this. Well, their pastor just made me mad, you know, as if he weren't human. Their youth pastor, you know, they made me mad. He said something I didn't like to my child, and so we're just going to go somewhere else because there's someone somewhere else. I don't like the kind of music they do. I don't like their organ. I don't like those robes. I don't like their worship leader. I don't like the person next to me in the pew. I don't like the color of the pews. I don't like the color of the carpet. I don't like the chandeliers. Any number of things. And they say, you know what? This isn't that important. I'll just go down the street to the new church. Worship isn't about you. Let's get that through our heads. It's bigger than you. So when you come together in the presence of other people, there are different preferences, and there are different opinions, and there are different styles. But you know what you do if you don't happen to like the preference of the person next to you when it's got nothing to do with the Bible? You know what you do? You get over it, and you love them anyway because they're your brother or your sister in Christ. And you unite with the body of Christ each and every week, a body that you need to have made a covenant communion with, that that's your church, and that's my pastor, and those are my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's how important this is. Corporate worship is big and cosmological, bigger than you and bigger than me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, let's go there. We'll start in verse 16. First of all, as you're turning there, how many people have ever heard someone tell you that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? God, your, your body is the temple of the Spirit. Okay, in one sense it's true. Your individual body, if you are a believer, in a spiritual sense is filled with the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. So in one sense, yes, you individually are a little, little individual temple, a living place for the Holy Spirit. But I want us to read this passage. I'm going to draw some, draw some things from it. Verse 16, 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple? and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Is anyone reading, actually all of you must be reading, is anyone reading from an ESV tonight? ESV Bible? Um, do you see a little number three beside, do you not know that you? Anybody see that in their Bibles? You have a number, right? Look at the footnote at the very bottom, and someone raise their hand and read that footnote to me. Do you not know that you? Amy, yes. What does plural mean? More than one. 
Okay, so that brings us to our first point. The Greek word used in these two verses for you, who mean, is plural throughout. So that when Paul is saying, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is he talking to? Just that one person that happens to be reading that at the time in Corinth? No. Talking to everybody who is a believer that is reading this letter. You are a temple for the Holy Spirit. You begin to see the importance of unity and corporate and togetherness, right? Let's, let's keep going on that. Number two, the gathered church is the temple for God's presence. A few books later, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. There's a lot of talk in Christian circles sometimes about Israel, the rebuilding of the temple, and there's a lot of people that think that, that, that there's, there's a lot of emphasis placed on physical national Israel and a rebuilding of a physical temple in Israel. And, and a lot of people believe that that's kind of a sign of the end times, a sign that, that, that Jesus is about to come back, that the Jews are rebuilding their temple, their physical temple in Jerusalem. Well, I want us to, to get tonight that the temple that the Old Testament prophets spoke of that would be perfect and pure and holy is not going to be a physical temple in Jerusalem in modern-day national Israel. But it is a spiritual temple that we've already talked about tonight, that we are made, uh, made up together as that temple through Jesus, who is the true temple and true Israel. So let's read this, and I think we'll see this point being made over and over again by the apostles. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Okay? One. We have one foundation. What does Paul say our foundation is here? Verse 20. Somebody tell me. What is our foundation? What does it say? The apostles and the prophets. We are built on the words of the prophets of Isaiah and Jeremiah and people like Amos that we're talking about on Sunday morning. We're built on the words of the apostles like Paul and Peter and James and John, which we just got done with a sermon series in Peter. So we're built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. Who is our cornerstone? Jesus Christ is the one and only cornerstone that holds the whole building together. So one, one foundation. Two, one cornerstone. That's because three, we're being built into one structure, one building. And Paul tells us what that building is in verse 21. What is it? A holy temple. One holy temple. And last of all, we've been made one through Jesus. Here's some elementary Bible stuff here. Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant. Who was God's chosen people in the Old Covenant? The Jews, the Hebrews. What happens when we come to the New Covenant and Jesus opens the curtain for all people to come in? Who are now welcomed into the covenant people of God? 
Everyone. They were called Gentiles, Jews, and then non-Jews were called Gentiles. Everyone is welcomed in. Now let me ask you a question. If the Jews, by race and by nationality, were God's chosen people in the Old Testament, are they still God's chosen people simply, listen, simply by birth and by nationality because they are just racial ethnic Jews? No. How must you enter into the new covenant body of Christ? Through Jesus, by, by faith, by grace through faith, symbolized in baptism. Very good. Symbolized in baptism. But you don't enter by baptism. You enter by grace through faith, symbolized in baptism. So the new covenant body of Christ has nothing to do with Jew and Gentile, or black or white, or rich or poor, or male and female, or slave and free. There's none, there's none of that in the body of Christ. When you come into the church on Sunday morning, you leave all of that stuff that divides us behind to worship Jesus with them, everyone together. Through the blood of Jesus, we have all been made one body. Does everybody see how corporate worship symbolizes that? We come together regardless of our age and ethnicity and sex and everything else. We come together to worship God together because He's made us one. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter, we just finished this on Sunday morning, so you should remember a little bit of this. 1 Peter chapter 2, look at verse 4. Again, reading the Bible, words, ideas that are repeated mean things. And so here we see a pattern, and I hope you pick up on it. This is from a different apostle. This is from Peter, not Paul, but the words are very similar. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him... You're coming to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through who? Jesus Christ, because he is our ultimate high priest. So we again see Peter saying there's no more temple, there's no more tabernacle, there's no more sacrifices, there's no more earthly priesthood because Jesus is all of that. And when you are in Jesus, you are being made into a holy priesthood yourselves. You are offering God sacrifices, not of the blood of goats and lambs and stuff, but you are already covered with the blood of Jesus Christ. And the sacrifices you offer, again, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, offer yourselves your bodies as living sacrifices to God. We offer God our sacrifice of praise and worship because we have no need of blood sacrifice anymore. Jesus has already done that. So all of this stuff is fulfilled in Jesus. So number one, believers are like living stones. This whole idea of us coming together and making a temple for God by being the church, Peter says it's like each of you are individual little living bricks. You know, by yourselves, you're fine, you're, you know, you're saved. You can worship God by yourself in private and in your daily life. But the real picture happens when what? All the bricks come together and are stacked on top of one another and made one, and there's a holy dwelling place for God that is visualized in the people of God coming together and worship, worshiping Him together. Number two, together they are like spiritual house and a holy priesthood that offers spiritual sacrifices through Jesus Christ, the true temple. There's been a lot of talk tonight about the temple and about 
stones and sacrifices and priests and all this stuff. And I, and I really hope you're getting the imagery from the Old Testament and how the New Testament authors are really trying to get us to understand what all that meant. The temple and the sacrifices and the priesthood and all that, that wasn't an end in itself. Remember, these Hebrew Christians in the book of Hebrews were tempted to go back to that. And the, the author is again saying, don't go back to it. It's empty now because the real thing has come. And the real thing is Jesus and faith in Him and the church. This is now the reality. Not earthly temples and tabernacles and arks of the covenant. And I just think it's funny that there's no access to the temple. There's no access to the ark of the covenant because God has said there's a better way in Jesus Christ. Let's turn lastly to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hand and crying with one loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their face before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and honor and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So look there at the beginning of that. He sees what? A great multitude that no one could number. From what? Every nation. From all tribes and peoples and languages. So this is a picture of heaven. And what do you see? Do you see one person standing there having their own little private time with Jesus? You see a great multitude that no one can number. Are they all white? Are they all black? Are they all Hispanic? Are they all Asian? No, they're from every tribe. And they all speak, do they all speak English? No. no. Do they all speak Spanish? No. They're from every tribe and nation and language and people. This is convicting to us in America, isn't it? That that's what heaven looks like. And yet our churches don't look like that most of it. And it shouldn't shock you or somehow scandalize you when you see someone in a church service that doesn't look like you or that doesn't speak your language. That's the silliest thing on the face of the earth, that someone would be mad that people in our country speak a different language. I see Facebook posts about it every single day, about English this and English that and English that. They don't speak English in heaven. The church does not speak English as their holy language. In heaven, it's every tribe and tongue and nationality and race. Our churches should look like that. But more importantly, this shows us that heavenly worship, our eternal worship together, will not be just me and Jesus got our own thing going, but it will be me and you and all the angels and all all Christians from all time joining together to worship the Lord. So when you come together on Sunday morning for corporate worship here or wherever you go, that's what you're seeing. 
we're so used to it now. Maybe you've grown up in church and maybe it's just something you do. You just come to church. Maybe from now on you can actually think that when you come to church and we're singing and we're praying and we're hearing the word preached to us, that your eyes are open and the Spirit shows you this is what heaven is like. A whole lot of people worshiping Jesus. And this is just a little taste of that. Just a little foretaste. Next, let's look at these last two points. Corporate worship and eternity. This is kind of our capstone tonight. Corporate worship is a foretaste of eternity because we will join with all the angels and saints in heaven to worship and glorify God through Jesus Christ together. Corporate worship is a foretaste of eternity because we will join with all the angels and saints in heaven to worship and glorify God through Jesus Christ together. And then lastly, you already know this because it was the beginning of the notes tonight. This is our foundation question. Let's read it. Let's, I'll ask the question, then we'll answer it together. Why is it so important that we worship together? Now you answer with me. Because God calls us to it, promises His presence, and lets us worship with the angels and saints in heaven. Corporate worship, if we're going to put a little period on our lesson tonight, Corporate worship is so important, not only because God has told us to do it. He's told us to meet together, to worship together. Corporate worship is important because that image points us to heaven, where we will all be together, regardless of any separation or divisions that we have now, and we'll be united in praise and worship around the throne of God. That's what corporate worship is all about. It's a foretaste. Remember the first week of this series I said that if you find corporate worship somehow boring, or, or maybe you just don't like the music and you're not all that into the music and maybe you don't like the preacher or whatever. Remember, if, if, I, if, you, if you find corporate worship to be boring now, you might want to check that little salvation bulb <laughs> because it might not be turned on. I'm not trying to be mean. Again, I'm trying to encourage you that if you find church boring, you don't understand what's going on, we can help you with that. We can help you understand what that's what all this is for, helping you understand what's going on and why it's so important. But you might want to check to see if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said, if you are my sheep, you will hear my voice and you will follow me. You will like to hear God speak to you through the preaching. You will like to join with people in worship and praise to God. So I'm not saying this to threaten you or to be mean. I'm saying this to invite you. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you're not trusting in the gospel for your salvation, to come and talk to me, to me afterwards about what that means because that's the most important thing in this life and in the next. Okay? If you're outside of Jesus, corporate worship isn't a foretaste of heaven. It's a warning that God's judgment is coming. Thank you, God, for this day, this evening that you've given us in this place to come together and to open your word and to be taught by your spirit, to be guided by your hand. I pray that you've taken these words that I've spoken tonight and that you've applied them to the hearts of these students, the listening adults, all those that may hear. I ask that these words which come from your scripture, which are based in your word, 
would take root in our hearts and would encourage us to see the importance and the priority of corporate worship each and every week. That our hearts would be pricked if we've neglected corporate worship. That we would be convicted if we've treated it as something that doesn't matter. Because, Lord, we know that you died to make it possible. And when we treat it as if it doesn't matter, or treat it as if we don't care, or when we treat it as if other things are more important, we treat you and your cross as if they don't matter. Help us to love the people of God. Help us to welcome people into our church regardless of what language they speak or what they look like or what life they have had in the past. Help us to look like the church of heaven. And help us to realize that when we come together, we join with all the angels and all the saints to worship and glorify Jesus. And let him be our focus and our joy and our happiness forever. We ask all these things in his name. That's all for this midweek edition of Living Faith. Listen in every week for more from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. You don't want to miss any of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Roll Down, Judgment and Restoration in the Prophecy of Amos. Our senior pastor, John Beck, will be walking us through that important Old Testament book in the coming weeks. For more information about FBC 180, the youth and family ministry of First Baptist Church, you can go to our website at fbc180.com. You can find our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash First Baptist Avon Park Youth. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash FBCAP180. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. Our Sunday service begins at 1045 in the morning. You can find all this information and more at fbcap.net. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next time on Living Faith.